0: So we've been doing this series um, called Ika, which is what the book was originally named in Hebrew, which is Lamentations. It's, it means how. Um, we've been doing the five chapters. So this is the fifth week. So this is the final week. This is as it all kind of wraps up. Um, it's been extremely depressing, um, but it's a pretty depressing book. And that's why a lot of people tend not to read it. But I think if you don't read it and you kind of try to engage in like a spiritual or just in life full stop and try and think that life is going to be full of hope and joys and roller coaster rides then you're going to be mistaken because sometimes things happen. I've had friends that have lost, um, lost children, friends that have had their marriages fall apart. Some people, they've pursued their dreams and come crashing down. Life isn't always just about the highs. Sometimes there are huge lows. And in this book, you have probably the darkest chapter in the whole of Israel's history. Um, in one of the previous chapters we looked at, there's this kind of confession that they were behaving worse than Sodom. And Sodom was a place that God kind of like nuked in the Old Testament accounts. And so they were saying, like here, like with Sodom, you just dealt with them straight away and they were done. But us, we're still lingering in this pain. We're still going through this. So they were saying, your judgment on us is harsher than on them. And they weren't saying that they felt God was being unfair. They were saying that we get it. We've totally abandoned everything about who we are. Lost our complete identity and gone the wrong way. And so the book starts off the first few chapters. Um, the first um, two are kind of acrostic. The fourth one's acrostic, so it's like the A to Z. But in their le- language, the Alf to Taf, which is like they have 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So these poems aren't just like going mental at God about stuff. They're actually really well thought through and really well written. Um, the third one was different um so every other one is 22 verses long the third one was 66 because each letter got said three times so it's like a really staunch points being made the fifth one is 22 letters 22 verses long but actually it's i don't know why they've done that because literally it's not actually it's not actually written acrostic it's not after to it's not A to Z, it's just 22 verses. Um, the reason uh, most rabbis have said that this particular passage doesn't have that particular rhyming scheme and that kind of framework is because although it has parts of it which could be considered a lamentation, they believe the last chapter is kind of ending on a prayer. So it's more of, um, a, although the other parts also have prayers within them, this one predominantly is a prayer with lamentations inside of the prayer. Which is kind of big to bear in mind. Um, so, we're going to start with the first verse. We're going to work our way straight through this chapter today. And it kicks off with this one key word remember. This is the key word for the whole of this chapter, and actually, probably one of the key words in the whole of the Jewish faith. Again and again and again, they're instructed to remember. But this time, they're asking God to remember. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Look and see. The same word is said twice. So they're really desperate for God to see their plight. They feel forgotten. In the third chapter, I think it was, or the second that we looked through um, a couple of weeks back, um, there was this point where they're like, they didn't feel remembered. They felt like they'd been forgotten, they felt alone, they felt isolated. Here they've come to this place of realizing, yeah, we screwed up, things have been wrong. This is kind of our fault that we're in this place. Now they're coming to this conclusion where they're like, remember us, please remember us. See the situation we're in, see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. This is really kind of interesting, like kind of the wordplay that they're kind of using here because um, our inheritance is turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We've become orphans and fatherless. So they're saying, we feel like orphans and fatherless, but at the same time, they're not quite willing to completely embrace that because they're saying our mothers are like widows. They're not widows. It's almost like, you know, a scenario where you've got a family home, they're all living together, everything's sweet. Then one day the dad just gets up and leaves. And the, the, the wife is in this place where she's like, I'm not quite ready to move on. I'm not in that place where I'm looking for someone else to replace that void. So that's the kind of the word, the, the insinuation in, in, the, in the Hebrew language and the way this is written, that our mothers are like widows. They're not quite in that place to go, yeah, bang, he's gone. I'm ready for someone else to fill this place. They're still looking. They're still waiting, longing for their father to come home. And that's the way they're kind of speaking about God. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we must get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We, have, we are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread. Our fathers sinned and are dead, but we still bear their iniquities. We're still suffering in this place. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. It talks about their, sin, their fathers being gone, them... Living in that place of sin, it also kind of ties in with the whole orphan, fatherless thing. They're like, we've lost the role model to guide us. That's gone. We're just here in this place. We don't know who we are anymore. We don't know our identity. We don't know where we're going in this life. And they can't get hold of bread. They can't get hold of necessities. They're kind of leaderless. They don't really have any direction or purpose. Our skin is as hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine Women are raped in Zion. This place that was built on this ideology, this this way of living, these values, and the complete opposite is taking place there. Young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. So what they're kind of painting here is like if you think of the Romans and crucifixion, what they used to do was they'd grab like a a cross. uh, This happened to a lot to Christians. Um, in the New Testament times, where they'd be taken, put on a cross, then they'd kind of be set on fire and used as street lamps and as an example to everyone um, to not hold those particular views and to not adhere to that way of life. And so there was strong persecution here in the Babylonian exile and in the dispersion. What they're saying is, they're saying the princes are being hung in the streets to show us the sign of what our leadership are. And the sign of our hope and the sign of our leaders. And it says elders are not respected. If you think about the news recently and that crazy guy that killed that granny and like beheaded her and her cat. And that's the kind of thing, when you read that in the news, you're like, flipping heck, Like that is disgusting, how can anyone treat someone like that? Well, they're saying the mind games that are being played to us to keep us down, to keep us under control, is they're holding our leaders up and hanging them in this way, and our old people, this is what they're doing, to say, don't you dare think about uprising, don't you dare think about freedom, don't you dare think about your identity. So their princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill. Boys stagger under loads of wood, like huge child labor and slavery. The old men have left the city gate and the young men, their music. I think that's kind of key. I think that it kind of made me think of like a funny kind of picture, like a, like a, What's his name? Steve Brookstein or whatever. The guy who first won X Factor. Like, you know, sometimes you meet someone like in, in, like you go to a pub and they're having like a music night on and there's some guy who's like 65 that still is, hasn't given up on being a rock star. And he's like, yeah, man, like I'm still going for this. And you're looking at him, you're like, yeah, really? 65 probably should give up. Like, it's not great when the Rolling Stones do it. When you do it, you just look like a weirdo. And it's kind of like that kind of vibe. Like, the young men, have, the old men have left the city gate, but the young men, their music, they're saying young men who should be like, writing like love songs, should be writing songs about their future. Like, there is no future. The future's so bleak that the young men are packing in music. Like talk about hopes and dreams one day I want to become a star I want to become this I want to become that it's like well forget it there's nothing there's no future so and there's nothing to sing about the joy of our hearts has ceased our dancing has been turned to mourning the crown has fallen from our head woe to us for we have sinned which is a huge transformation from the earlier chapters where they kind of blamed God for everything for our heart has become sick for these things our eyes have grown dim For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. And now here comes a really kind of key change um, in perspective, like a paradigm shift. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? It seems like forever since you've been here. It seems forever since we've had this relationship that we used to enjoy. It seems like it's just gone. Like, why do you forget us? We know that our kingdom has passed away. And in earlier chapters, it's almost, they won't question that God's passing away, that his power's fading, that he's not who he says he is. They're like, your kingdom reigns forever, but why does it seem like forever since you're going to ever engage with us again, that you're ever going to connect with us again? Like, why have you forsaken us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us. And you remain exceedingly angry. It kind of says here, Why do you forget us forever? Why did you forsake us so many days? Restore to us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days. of Well, we want things to go back to how they were between us. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The end. That's how the book ends. It's just like crazy. It's crazy. That's the ending. It's like, please, 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 let's, let's reconnect. Let's have the relationship we had before unless this is done and like you're totally wanting to lay some more smackdown on us in which case carry on that's kind of how lamentations ends and as I was reading that I was like no freaking way like how do you end a book like that we're in the midst of our suffering we're going through the toughest time ever Please restore us, merciful God. It says like earlier in early chapter, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But um, if you're done with the relationship and you're not really feeling like being faithful anymore and um, you're still vexed, then it's cool, you know. Holler back when you're ready kind of thing. And I looked at that and I was like, that's so crazy. But if we look at this chapter, it starts off with remember, oh Lord, what has befallen us. And then at the end it says, restore us. And then there's this fear that lies in the background, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Now, as I was reading this chapter, I started to realize that I think this particular chapter, Lamentations 5, is actually like a person that I've read about before. And we're going to flick over to that right now. So if you've got a Bible you want to follow, we're now in Luke 23, verse 32. If you're not, it's cool. I'm just going to read it. So Jesus is being crucified at this moment. Um, Well, he's he's about to be crucified. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over the top of him, the sign saying, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, justly for what we have done, we are receiving our due reward for our actions. But this man (laughs) has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, the way I see Lamentations 5 is this. I see it as a basketball three-pointer shot at the end of the game. The scores are level, actually one behind. The away team is one point ahead, and it's at the three-pointer line, and the guy shoots, and this ball has just been hanging in the air. And when you watch those moments in a game where the game is all down to this one shot, it's like the ball is in the air forever, and everyone's just watching it in slow-mo. It's like, as the ball's coming, it's like, will it go in? Will babies be born? Will there be world peace? You know, will this make it? And it's this question mark that lingers in the background. Is it going to make it? Is it going to hit it? Are we going to hear a swoosh? Or is he going to miss? Is he going to fail? And that's what's happening in Lamentations 5. In Lamentations 5, it starts off with the plea to be remembered. For the Hebrew people, the idea of being remembered by God is being restored by God, being saved by God, being brought around to a new holistic relationship with Him that is healthy. And so this book, Lamentations 5, at the end of this chapter, at the beginning it's saying, Remember me restore me to this relationship but then he ends with the fear that so many of us have in the background the fear that we have deep down inside ourselves which is like restore us to this relationship remember me but you know what if if if, if we're cut off forever and if like you've still got more rough to pour out on us then God by all means lay the smack down on all our candy you know it's, it's, it's kind of ending in that way. And in this moment, thousands of years later, this ball is still traveling in the air and no one knows how it's going to go in, whether it's going to be a swoosh, the crowd goes wild, or it's going to be the end of the game and the away team wins. And in this moment, there's this thief that embodies everything about this chapter. Both thieves, either side of Jesus, they embody Lamentations 5. You see, there are some of the Hebrew people that were in the earlier chapters going like, God, you did this to us, this is your fault, we're suffering like this. But then there's a guy like the thief who's like, you know what, I deserve what I'm getting. Like, I've done wrong. I've lived my life the wrong way. We deserve this sentence. We're murderers. We're thieves. We deserve to be crucified. We deserve the condemnation that God has coming for us. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. And so in that moment, as he says that, he then turns to Jesus and he asks this one plea, the plea that is in the beginning of Lamentations 5, which is remember me. And he says, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus answers the age old question that has been left hanging, hovering in the air. Is there going to be a swoosh? Because you see, for these guys, they were scared that the wrath of God would come against them. And what this thief didn't realize, in that moment he asked that question, he asked the question at the perfect time. Because as he asked, remember me, the fear would have been lingering in the back of his mind, growing up with a Jewish understanding, that maybe there's just rejection from me. Maybe there's just God's wrath for my life. But Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And the reason Jesus was able to say that, because the wrath of God for all mankind, for all eternity, was poured out upon his son. And so this thief on this cross is asking the question we all ask. That when we go through those hard times, we're like, God, can you get me out of here? God, can you restore things to how they were before? God, can you bring me to a place where I have happiness, where I know joy, where I know your peace, where I know your love, where I know your mercy? God, can can things be like they were before? God, can I have the relationship with you that like Adam had walking in the cool of the evening? Or are things forever going to be this way? Am I going to be forever be rejected? Am I forever going to live in this state? Lord, will you remember me? This morning, our prayer as we finish this book is, Lord, would you remember us? Would you remember us in the place that we're at? Lord, would you remember the pain and the suffering that we're going for? Look at us. Look at our hearts, look at our struggle, look at our hurt, look at our rejection, Father. And this morning, just like a thief on the cross, we just turn to you this morning, Father, and we just ask that you would remember us in our pain, that you would remember us in our suffering, that you would remember us in our situation and in our hurt. Lord, would you restore us this morning? Father, I thank you, Lord God, that we can come and ask this question knowing, unlike the Jewish people who ended the book with a fear that you may cut us off forever, that you may pour your wrath on us. We can ask this question knowing there is no fear for us because a thief on a cross asked 2,000 years ago, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Lord God, we thank you for your restoration. We thank you that we know you remember us. We thank you that we know you hear our cry and that you have your love for us, Lord God. We just pray this morning, Father, that as we ask you to remember us, Lord, We would experience your grace and your love afresh, Lord God. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness towards us, Lord. We just pray that you would come and you would minister to us, Lord God. In Jesus' name.